Well, in spite of everything that's going on in our world, our God is still great. He's still in control, and He's one that we can trust in. And I want to just say this morning, I'm thankful for all of you that have shown up here this morning to come together in person to worship. And also, I'm thankful for all of you who are watching us online uh, this morning or who'll be watching later in the week. Regardless of what is going on in our world as God's people, we have much to be thankful for. And regardless of how you will be celebrating Thanksgiving uh, this year, whether it'll look the same, whether it'll look the different than, than ever before, it is still an opportunity for us to give thanks to our great God and to thank Him for His faithfulness. He will always be faithful. Well, this morning we're going to talk about a topic that there's a great deal of disagreement on in the Christian community. We're going to talk about the use of alcohol. Very likely, everyone here in some way has had your life touched by someone who has misused alcohol. For me... When I think of my grandparents, there are two different extremes that were there. On the one side, I had my father's parents. His mother uh, was very influential in my life. I lived with her. My mother lived with her. My dad was in the service for the first two years of my life. And she prayed for me. And she prayed that one day I would be in the ministry. She was a very godly woman. Her husband I never met, my grandfather. He died when my father was 10 years old. He was up working on the roof of their house and had a stroke. And in those days, this is back in 1939, in those days the doctors came to the homes. And the doctor came into the home and the doctor wanted to give him a shot of whiskey to thin his blood knowing he had had a stroke and he refused to let any alcohol enter into his home. And he died from that stroke. So that's the extreme with my father's uh, parents. With my mother's parents, with my grandmother, as I was thinking this week, I only really have two memories that stand out with her. One was she baked the best bread that I have ever eaten. I can't imagine manna tasting any better than the bread that she baked. And whenever we would go over to her house, if she knew we were coming, there was always fresh bread coming out of the oven. And while it was warm, spreading that butter on it, letting it melt, my mouth waters right now, remembering that bread. Unfortunately, nobody in the family seemed to get her recipe for making that bread. Bread. 
It's probably good for my weight to this day that I don't have the recipe for her bread. The other thing that I remember about her is I can't ever remember seeing her without a bottle of beer in her hands. She was an alcoholic. When I think of my grandfather, there are two, only two things that really stand out with him in my memory. One, that he was a short man. And secondly, I remember when I was around six or seven years old, my younger brother and I were on the back porch with just him, nobody else around, and him trying to get me to drink beer, which I totally refused. I will not incriminate my younger brother by saying what he did. So those are the memories. On my mother's side of the family, in our home, there was never any alcohol. Every one of her brothers and sisters, and I believe there were seven of them, all became alcoholics. So alcohol has touched my life from a family type of view. Uh, Alcoholism and the use of alcohol is an issue in our culture today. In 2019, there's a survey that was taken place where almost nearly 26% of people 18 or older reported that they had engaged in binge drinking within the last 30 days. It is estimated that 95,000 people, approximately 68,000 men and 27,000 women, die from alcohol-related causes annually, making alcohol the third leading preventable cause of death in the United States. The only two that are ahead of it is tobacco use, and the second is poor diet and a lack of physical activity. In 2014, and proceeding, 2014 was the latest uh, statistics I could find, nearly 10,000 people died in automobile-related accidents from people using alcohol. The use of alcohol, or should we say the misuse of alcohol, has been estimated to impact uh, the finances of the United States by nearly $250 billion. Now, during this virus that we're fighting, can you guess what's happened to alcohol sales? They have dramatically increased. In March, in the state of Ohio, there was a 20% rise in the sales of alcohol during the month of March over the month of February. 
According to one study, since the virus has begun in March, there has been a 243% increase in the use of alcohol. The reopening of the restaurants uh, did not help in the state of Ohio. Uh, During the month of May, over 1.48 million gallons of alcohol were sold. So it's an issue. It's an issue in our culture. It's an issue among Christians. Now, among Christians, there are basically three different positions that are taken. Uh, First of all, there is a position that says all alcohol is a sin. Any use, all drinking, any use of alcohol whatsoever is a sin. And many of the, the people who hold to this point would argue that when we come to the Scriptures and it mentions wine and it mentions beer, that it's talking about something that was non-alcoholic. We'll talk about that later in the message. But their perspective is that alcohol in and of itself is evil, and anyone who has a drink of any kind is sinning. There's a second position. They would say it is not a sin to drink alcohol, but all Christians should abstain. They wouldn't come to the point that they would say that alcohol in and of itself is evil. They would admit that in the Scriptures you will find people drinking alcohol, but they would argue today because of the abundance of beverages we have to choose from that are non-alcoholic, that every Christian should abstain from drinking. And then there's a third position that is held, and the third position says it is not a sin to drink alcohol. It is a sin to be drunk that the Scriptures never forbid the drinking of alcohol, but they do forbid people getting drunk. Now, we're going to talk about this as we work our way through the various Scriptures in the Bible that speak about alcohol. And so, what we're going to do is, as we did last week as well when we talked about the tongue, We're going to look at different passages and their statements about alcohol, and then we're going to go to the book of Proverbs to get the wisdom of Solomon on the use of alcohol. So, first of all, statements from the Scripture. Number one, and this may surprise some of you, wine is a gift from God. Wine is a gift from God. I don't know that I've ever heard a whole sermon on this particular passage, but this is Psalm 104, verses 14 and 15. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, 
and bread to strengthen man's heart. Wine to gladden the heart of man. That God has created wine and that part of the purpose for that is for it to gladden man's heart. Now, some people have argued that to gladden the heart of man means that to get drunk is okay because when you're intoxicated, they argue, that's when you're glad. Well, unfortunately, that doesn't hold up to scriptural scrutiny. Uh, There are other things that are said to make the heart of man glad that have nothing to do with alcohol. A kind word, we're told in Proverbs 12, 25. A cheerful look in Proverbs 15, 30. And perfume and incense. All of them are said to make uh, man's heart glad, and none of them have anything to do with alcohol whatsoever. Over in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7, Solomon writes there, uh, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved of what you do. Now let that sink in for a second. He says, go eat your bread, go drink your wine, because God has approved of what you do. Another thing that I think we need to be mindful of is that not only is wine a gift from God, but when Jesus rules on the earth during the millennial kingdom, there is going to be plenty of wine. And I'm going to assume if wine is plentiful, then people are going to be drinking it. I think that's a safe assumption. But we're told in Joel, verse 24 of chapter 2, The threshing floors shall be full of grain, and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. In Amos chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. And he goes on, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. There will be wine during the millennial reign of Christ. Also, another fact from Scripture, that the first miracle that Jesus performed was that of doing what? He turned the water into wine. John 2, verses 9 and 10. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Uh, I can guarantee you if Jesus made the wine, it was good. Another fact of Scripture is the fact that Jesus drank wine. 
Matthew 11, verses 18 and 19. It's a comparison between John the Baptist and Jesus. John the Baptist, who drank no wine because he had taken a Nazarite vow, says this, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Now, let me pause here for a moment and speak to those of you who believe that the wine of the New Testament and the water that Jesus turned into the wine was nothing but grape juice. What's the accusation against Jesus? He's a glutton and what? He gets drunk on grape juice. Have you ever known of anyone get drunk on grape juice? I mean, I I really believe that though it is true that the alcoholic content of alcoholic beverages today is much higher than it was in the days of Jesus just because of the things, that the different ways that we have to produce it, the alcoholic content is probably much higher today than in the days of Jesus, that nonetheless... If they are accusing Jesus of being a drunkard, they have seen him drink fermented drink, or they couldn't make that charge against him. Now, as we go through the Scriptures, it's obvious there are different people in the Bible who got drunk. Noah, after he exited the ark, we are told of his moral failure when he became drunk. Lot became drunk. In the New Testament, when we come to uh, the book of Corinthians, we find that those in Corinth are getting drunk at their love feast. I I can remember once I was in Bible college, and I attended a church on Sunday night, and the pastor's entire message that night was on the subject of how the wine of the Bible was nothing more than grape juice. That was his entire message. And then at the end of the message, he asked this question. Is there anyone at all here tonight that I haven't convinced that the wine of the New Testament was grape juice? And there was one hand that went up in the entire church. I I was sitting in third row, about where you're sitting, Virgil, and up went my hand. As I was leaving the church, the pastor said, young man, could you please wait a few moments? I'd like to talk to you when the others have left. And so I waited, and he said to me, he says, why have my arguments not convinced you? And I merely said to him, look, respectfully, pastor, when you can explain to me how the believers in Corinth got drunk on the grape juice then I might be able to believe your arguments. The wine of the New Testament is definitely a fermented wine. Uh, In 
the book of Timothy, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy to drink wine. 1 Timothy 5.23, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. A command to drink. Uh, Older women are warned not to be slaves to wine. Titus 2.3, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves too much wine, they are to teach what is good. Over in Isaiah chapter 5, in verse 11, we are warned that alcohol is addictive. Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late into the evening as wine in flames them. So, as you use alcohol, if you use alcohol, you need to be aware that it can become very addictive. Well, someone will say, well, if it can be addictive, why don't we just totally abstain from it? We'll talk about that later, and we'll talk about that is an option for us. Also, clearly from Scripture, drunkenness is a sin. Ephesians 5.18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Make it clear. Getting drunk is sinful, it is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. And the idea there is one of being controlled. Don't be controlled by wine. Don't be controlled by alcohol. Be controlled by the Spirit of God. And incidentally, that applies to other substances as well. Uh, For some who want to make the case, okay, the Bible says that we are not to get drunk on wine, but it says nothing about getting high on weed. Well, the same principle applies to both. It applies to all substances. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 and 10, it tells us that drunkenness is a sin. Or do you not know that the the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So those are random statements that are made throughout the Scriptures that refer to alcohol. Now let's look, since our series is on wisdom from Proverbs, let's look at the advice of Solomon. What does Solomon tell us to do? And we're just going to pretty much take them in the order that they occur in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1, and we're going to be going all over the book of Proverbs because as we've said before, Proverbs is short statements that are filled with wisdom. Proverbs 21, wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, 
And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. If alcohol is controlling your behavior, you are making a very poor decision. It is not wise to be led astray by alcohol. If there are things that you would do when you have some alcohol that you wouldn't do when you didn't have the alcohol, you are being led astray by the alcohol. Number two, the love of alcohol will prevent you from being rich. Proverbs 21, 17. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Right? You want to get ahead? If you're using alcohol, stop using it. Save some money. Now, I have never been in a restaurant where I ordered any alcohol, ever. But sometimes I glance to see how much it costs. And I can understand why waiters and waitresses would prefer to wait on people who are drinking alcohol as opposed to those who are not because they're probably going to get a much higher tip. So the use of alcohol... Falling in love with it is going to prevent you from being rich. And not only will it prevent you from being rich, it will lead you to poverty. Uh, Proverbs 23, verses 20 and 21. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. Now, let me pause here just for a second so that we can be fair as we're talking about this subject. Being drunk and being a glutton are put on the same level with one another. I have heard lots of messages uh, throughout my Christian experience on drunkenness. I can't ever remember anyone preaching a message on gluttony. You know, it's, it's a sin for someone to have a glass of wine, but the guy who's on his fifth dessert and is 300 pounds overweight, that's okay. Those are the circles I've been brought up in. Okay. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will cover them with rags. You're going to be driven to poverty by the misuse of alcohol. Number four, Solomon tells us, alcohol will bring you woe, sorrow, strife, and complaining. Proverbs 23, verses 29 to 35. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? 
Those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine, do not look at the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent. Now listen to what it will do to you. It bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things. And your heart will utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea. Like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say. But I was not hurt. They beat me. But I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. What a vivid picture Solomon paints of those who get drunk and misuse alcohol. I can remember when I went to my grandparents' uh, home they were living in, and I already told you that on my mother's side of the family, they were all alcohols. I can remember the, the holes in the drywall where they had gotten into fights with one another and thrown one another up against the wall. I can remember that on one occasion, one of my uncles, we were away on vacation, and the the police were after him, so he had broken into our home and was was staying uh, there. And my parents discovered that in the home, they had some cooking alcohol, that he had taken that, and he had drank all of that. He so much wanted to have the alcohol. He was addicted to it. And he was in trouble with the law because of his actions while he had been drunk. Solomon tells us that alcohol is going to affect our behavior. It'll cause you to make bad decisions. Proverbs 31, verses 4 and 5. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Solomon is giving advice to his son. It is saying, look, it's not good for a king to be drinking. Because when a king is drinking wine, if he becomes intoxicated, he's going to make poor decisions. Now, Solomon does say that alcohol can be used for a medicinal purpose. Proverbs 31, verses 6 and 7. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing, 
and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Give some alcohol to the person who is dying. Here it's being used in a medicinal uh, way to help that individual that is dying. Now, for some of you, and I just want to be careful here, for some of you who have, you know, taken this stand that you never drink alcohol, and that's fine, and I think that's a good stand for you to take. Some of you have taken it for medicinal purposes. Have you ever had NyQuil? 10% alcohol. Ah. Some cough syrups, I was surprised to find out that they're 70 to 90% alcohol. Now, we, most of us have probably benefited from those medicines, but a major ingredient in those medicines is alcohol. So, as, as we look at the wisdom of Solomon... And as we look at the statements of Scripture, let's make some practical, let's draw some practical principles from it. All right, number one, decide what God would have you to do. For some of us, the best decision is not to drink alcohol, is not to have any alcohol. If you have a conviction against it, then do not drink it. What would God require of you as a person? What does the Spirit of God convict you about when it comes to the use of alcohol? Remember from the Scriptures, drunkenness is a sin. There is nothing you can argue biblically to say it is okay to get drunk. That clearly violates the Scripture. And just because in this day uh, we sometimes use different terminology, some people will, will say to me, and I've heard this, you know, they'll say, you know what, I don't drink until I get intoxicated. I just drink until I get a good buzz. Now, may I suggest to you that that good buzz is probably you being intoxicated and controlled by the alcohol and that you've probably crossed the line if you're drinking to get a good buzz. Determine what it is God would have you to do. For some of uh, us that who have alcoholism in our backgrounds and stuff, it's probably best that we not drink. Uh, for some who haven't had, who have not had alcohol in the past, if you have some and you notice that it totally changed you, it's probably best that you not drink it. But remember once again, the scriptural standard is it condemns drunkenness, not having a drink of alcohol. Number two, 
Do not judge others. Do not judge others. Not everyone is going to come to the same conclusion that you come to. I have heard people criticize those who do not drink. I have heard those who drink criticize those who, who, who don't, those who do, and it goes back and forth between the two of them. Yet the Scriptures tell us that as brothers in Christ, we're not to be judging one another. Romans 14, three, 14 verses 1 through 3. Let not the one who is weak in faith welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Do not judge one another. Paul, of course, in this passage is talking about the eating of meat, but the principle applies to the drinking of alcohol as well. Principle number three, do not be a stumbling block for others. Romans 14, verses 13 to 16. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But what you, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Now, we need to be careful about other brothers and sisters in Christ that we do not offend them and cause a stumbling block to be put in front of them. Now, if you are in the presence of someone who struggles with alcohol, and you feel you have the liberty to drink alcohol, you should not drink it in the presence of that individual who struggles with it. There are some here who should never be drinking alcohol. And if we are in their presence, and by if we chose to have something to drink... And it would cause them to want to have something to drink. Now, that's the brother we're talking about here. The brother who would be tempted to do something that we are doing. Not the brother who's just upset that we are doing something. It's the brother who would be tempted, the brother or sister who would be tempted to do what we're doing. We should not put a stumbling block in front of them. Out of love, we would not put that stumbling block block there. So don't be a stumbling block for others. Principle number four, do all for God's glory. Do all for God's glory. 1 Corinthians 10 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. If you can't drink alcohol, to the glory of God, then don't drink it. If you can, then you can drink it as long as you use it in moderation 
and do not get drunk. So the message for all of us is we need to decide what the Spirit of God is leading us to do. We do not sit in judgment of others. We do not put a stumbling block before others. And we do all for God's glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the practical advice it gives us. We pray, Father, that we might be obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We pray that we would walk in such a way as to honor you. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.